everyone, I'm Alice. I'm Dan. And welcome back to the analysis on the wall that has taken me so much time to script, I literally could have watched the entire extended edition of Lord of the Rings at this point. Hmm, perhaps another topic to analyze. As long as I don't have to listen to something about a boy going through an angst phase and abusing all the women around him as a result, I'd be fine with that. You know, since the cast is majority single males, not really a problem. Ah, perfect. To maybe keep this script under nine pages this time, let me jump. <sighs> it is. Let me jump right into the disclaimers and a very brief review of all the important themes and topics discussed thus far. The wall does delve into some very dark themes. This set in particular deals with drugs, self mutilation, abuse, and war. So if any of these themes are dark or triggering to you, I highly advise skipping this beast of an episode and tuning in tomorrow for a much more lighthearted and shorter bloopers episode. Mm. I'd especially give this warning to anyone struggling with OCD, particularly if it involves anything like trichotillomania or perfection in order, as a lot of the imagery in the song Is There Anybody Out There could be triggering. I also highly recommend that if you haven't, go back and watch the first two parts of the series to get a much better sense of where we're starting off in this episode. Or just run while you still can. If they made it this far, I doubt they want to. Now, for a brief review of some terms. Pink Floyd doesn't really need much of an introduction, but if you want one, go back to part one of the series. Mm. The most prominent figure in Pink Floyd at this time was a man named Roger Waters, the lead vocalist and mastermind behind this album. A lot of the themes explored in this album were based on his own life. The Wall is a concept album, which means that there is a unifying theme or narrative tying the whole story together. This album literally is the story about a rock star named Pink, Pink <sighs> Floyd. <laughs> This album was broken up into four sides for four main arcs, and side one was Pink's childhood. This introduced us to the running themes of his dad's death during World War II, his overprotective mother, and his abusive school. It also introduced us to the concept of the wall, a mental wall that Pink begins to build to isolate himself from the rest of the world, as well as, technically speaking, individuality, or Pink's lack thereof. Mm. Side two was Pink's stardom, losing his wife and the completion of this mental wall. It drew on the themes from side one while adding his failing marriage, his wife's adultery, as well as potentially his adultery, drug usage, and the television. I didn't really touch too much on the, uh, the telly last time, but it's basically a stand-in for the toxicity of pop culture and the lack of emotional connection to what you see on a TV screen versus the gratification of an in-person, real-life connection. This also translates to the barrier between stars and their fans or the rest of the world. So this side uh, also introduced us to Pink's depressive phases and bursts of anger, as well as his status as an unreliable narrator. Last we left him, Pink had just finished building his mental wall and had retreated from the world into a state of catatonia. I didn't realize you could conjugate catatonic like that, but I am anything but an expert. It's actually a really fun word to conjugate, personally. Besides, <laughs> catatonia is a literal, psychological, and diagnosable condition. Fair enough. So, with that basis, let's go over the songs covered in side three. We start off with Hey You, a song that I've actually written an entire paper about. Oh no. Oh yes. Uh... Then we move on to Is Anybody Out There, Then Nobody Home, Vera, Bring the Boys Back Home, and Comfortably Numb. Now, let's get started with Hey You. This was actually one of the songs that frequently played on the radio back in the day, and it's a rather special song. According to Roger Waters, thematically speaking, it can basically fit just about anywhere inside 3. And that's because Hey You acts as Pink reaching out for help after isolating himself. So let's broadly translate Pink's story to reflect in every man struggling with isolation, which is part of what the album is aiming to reflect. These people often come up with a million justifications for closing themselves off from others. 
but once they're isolated, they might have a small bit of regret. Did they really do the right thing? They're so numb, yet so broken and hurting so much inside, dealing with so much turmoil. So perhaps they make a diary entry, or whisper under their breath, or mentally scream at the people around them that they need help and they're not okay, and they just have some little tick. But because their call is so quietly, and often something that they deliberately make barely hearable, if hearable at all, no one reaches out to help. Mm -hmm. And because no one reaches out, that person in isolation feels justified that they shut themselves off, and they say, see, I isolated myself because nobody cares anyway, and this is just further proof of it. The logic here is obviously flawed, but again, from the perspective of someone who went through a similarly dark time in their life, mm. this song resonated with me because at the time, it does seem like the most infallible, logical justification in the world, and that desperate mental plea is what this song is all about. Uh, I'd also like to just put in here that if you really do feel this way, I personally care about you. And there are plenty more people around you who do too, even if they don't know you extraordinarily well. And I would highly recommend reaching out, if not to anyone in your personal life, a suicide hotline or something in a similar vein could help immensely. It's making the effort to actually reach out rather than this justification of pretending to or doing so in a way that you know won't actually work because it is so subtle and under the radar. And it's not fair as well to put that pressure on people. Uh, it's not fair to yourself and it's not fair to them either. But regardless, there are people who care in many different aspects of your life. So I won't analyze the specific instruments and themes in a second-by-second -second take, mm. which I could do, but <sighs> I do want to briefly discuss this piece's composition. Briefly. Yes, briefly. In quotes. During the first verse, the main riff is played by electric guitar in a minor key, a 12-string guitar in particular, with the occasional note on the bass or accents by the synth added in. It's not quite as sparse as some of the songs on side two, like Goodbye Cruel World, but there is definitely a feeling of melancholy. The second verse is a fuller sound with the addition of drums and another electric guitar strumming a chord every few bars. The first two verses are sung by the secondary singer of Pink Floyd, which hints at the fact that these are only being said in Pink's mind and not aloud. You mean Pink Floyd the band, like the secondary singer? Uh, yeah, the singer was the part of the Pink Floyd band, but he was representing throughout this album a part of Pink Floyd the character. And yes, there are a few lines that confirm that Pink's last name is Floyd. Not confusing at all when you're trying to do this in podcast format. <laughs> now, it's also interesting to note that the people Pink calls out to, Pink the person, in these verses are likely versions of himself over the past two sides. One line, for example, refers to someone sitting naked by the phone, something Pink did a lot when trying to get a hold of his wife inside, too. Mm -hmm. He also references someone with their ear against the wall waiting for someone to call out which seems to basically be Pink at the present moment as he's locked himself inside the wall yet is somehow hoping for someone to reach out to him through the basically solid bricks. This shows Pink's egotism and how despite how hard he tries or thinks he tries, he only ends up connecting to himself and no one else. There is also, of course, the meta-commentary that applies to the audience themselves that I discussed earlier. The first half of the song ends with the lines, Open your heart, I'm coming home, followed by the sounds of a warplane. 
This is likely his plea to his mother and wife in particular to open their hearts to him again, something he could never do himself, and his longing for this home. Mm -hmm. uh, the home, again, could either be his longing for some place of warmth or belonging, which is ironic given that his wife and mother initially gave him these forms of home, which he quickly abandoned, or it could be his longing to return to his childhood, as signified by the warplane, so he can set things right in his life. The guitar solo halfway through this song reinstates the themes like another brick in the wall and seems to be searching for some sort of rhythm. To me, it also serves as a reminder that it was Pink himself who got himself into his current predicament in life. He realizes that he needs help, yet is unwilling to admit it to anyone other than himself, despite what he tells himself he's doing in mm -hmm. reaching out, in quotes. Yeah. This theme is picked up in the second half of the lyric, when the narrator shifts from this internal voice of Pink Floyd's secondary singer to Roger Waters himself as the singer, who says, But it was only a fantasy. The wall was too high. The narrator Waters' plays here seems to be some sort of omniscient party, or perhaps another part of Pink, reminding the audience, and Pink himself, that he was so successful at isolating himself that even his quote-unquote attempts at reaching out led to nothing. And because of Pink's successful isolation, worms it into his brain. Wow, I don't like that at all. Just wait for part four. I don't want to. Well, the lyric is the introduction of the worm theme in general, which does play a major role throughout the rest of the album. The worms symbolize decay, specifically mental decay, and they continue to eat away at Pink for the rest of the album. Metaphorically speaking, that is. So, with a new theme instated and that insanely long analysis out of the way, let's get into Is There Anybody Out There? Thankfully, by knowing the title, you already know all of the lyrics to this song. Seriously, the lyrics are just Is There Anybody Out There? repeated four times. Regular poet laureate out here. Interestingly enough, the song starts with changing the telestation. But hold on, you might be thinking. Didn't Pink smash his television into a pile of shards? And yes, yes he did. This is where that whole unreliable narrator thing comes in. Clearly we heard him smashing a TV. Even in the movie, Pink throws it out the window. Yet, in both versions, by this song, Pink is sitting right in front of one. Could he have had a second telestash somewhere? Yeah. But, especially given that this is likely a hotel room in the 1980s, that is not incredibly likely. Yeah, no, probably not. We also know the show that Pink is watching. It's an episode from the Western series Gunsmoke called Fandango, back from the late 1960s. The basic plot of this episode is that the protagonist tries to bring a guilty man to justice, but his attempts are hindered by another character. This was likely more just homage to a show that Waters liked, but it is interesting to note that it deals with justice and the obstruction of it, as we find Pink has a ways to go before his climactic trial. And how he sort of embodies all three of these characters with his shattering mental state, where he's the one responsible for his predicament, paralleling the guilty man, the one trying to get himself somewhere, the protagonist, and the one obstructing himself, which is the side character. Uh, yeah, no, Pink does rather uh, embody all three characters, especially at this stage. I couldn't find a place that explicitly stated this, but I do think that there's a deeper level to the show's inclusion like that, especially with such a specific episode, where he is likely eventually bringing himself to trial, but currently is hindering himself from that even being a possibility yet. And believe me, a villain does come out of that. 
Once again, this song returns to a more sinister, sparse tone. This is especially accentuated in the lyrics when Pink asks, Is there anybody out there? A whispering chorus joins him on the words out there, which is just creepy. This could represent Pink's splintering personalities due to his isolation, which does become a big thing inside 4, but it could also be used in reference to the expansiveness of the wall and barrenness of his new surroundings. Yeah, just kind of like an echo effect. I feel like it's something that's used in movies to portray people finding themselves so alone. Precisely what's going on, actually. <laughs> Sweet. Now, the second time that Pink asks, is there anybody out there, he's a little more rushed, especially on the out there part. And his plea is followed by a high-pitched noise that could either be a scream or a siren. The third time that Pink asks the question is a little bit more hesitant, as if Pink is questioning if anyone will ever actually answer his plea. Now, the background noise is filled with a similar warbling, as in Hey You, as well as more sirens and muted traffic noises. And with his final ask, Pink seems rather resigned to his fate of loneliness, as he realizes that there's no answer coming from outside his mental wall, as the traffic passes by without a thought to the scene going on in the hotel room way above them, and the telly drones on and on with its show. Pink ultimately turns inward and looks for the answer within himself, thus regressing further behind his wall. To be fair, if I'm having, like, a bad time, sometimes everything feels really loud and I don't want to talk, and I just kind of, like, collapse within me. But I do think that this dude is on a whole nother level of angst. Oh yeah, he's fully just regressing from the world, period. Yeah. So, as I said, I wouldn't delve too much into the movie. But mm -hmm. I do think that the scenes portrayed in this song, as well as the backstory behind those scenes, says a lot about Waters' message and intentions in writing the songs on side 3 in particular. I briefly mentioned him at the beginning of part 2, but Pink Floyd initially had a different frontman, Sid Barrett. Sid ended up losing himself in complete isolation to drugs and toxic mentality, dropping out from the band seven years prior to the events that sparked the aspect of this album. So, like, a fat minute before it came out. Oh yeah, it might have been seven years until the incident that sparked all this, but it was actually 11 years since he left when The Wall was published. The movie visuals for this song and the lyrics of the next song, Nobody Home, are entirely based on Sid. Or mostly, anyhow. During Is There Anybody Out There in the movie, Pink is heavily drugged and eventually crawls to the bathroom, taking out a razor and shaving his hair, including his eyebrows and his chest, in rather graphic fashion. And with the old-fashioned razors in particular, this was not a clean shave, to say the least, and the visuals of Pink with nothing but nicked-up skin for eyebrows and nearly buzzed short hair is a disturbingly powerful image that makes him look almost alien to what a human being should look like. I feel like a lot of people who have breakdowns that include shaving their head, like, just of, like, popular people. I know that Britney Spears did, and, uh, in one of the 21 Pilots music videos, I think they did that too, to accentuate what the song was about. Yeah, actually, one of the likely theories behind episodes like this is that it's a way of gaining control over a situation that seems entirely out of your hands. Mm -hmm. It's not the only reason why people do that. But especially in this scenario, and I think for some other stars, this really does hold up. I think it's also just having, like, just needing a big change, and changing your appearance is one thing that you can do. Change of appearance was a small part of it. Uh, debatably, how much? Depends on the person. And yeah, it's a good image to represent isolation, as well as, um, in a way, Pink's rebirth into a much more controlling and, in a way, perfectionistic persona, because, think about it, being hairless is kind of like being a newborn. 
But the connection to Sid Barrett is personal and quite sad. As I mentioned, there was an incident with Sid Barrett that sparked these visuals. Pink Floyd had been recording a song for one of their albums seven years after Sid had dropped out from the band and cut contact from his fellow band members. The song was about Sid himself, called Shine On You Crazy Diamond. And suddenly, while recording this, they see someone walk into the studio. It's Sid Barrett, there to watch them play. Only now, he had gained a significant amount of weight and had shaved off all of his hair. After seven years of radio silence, this was their first sight of Sid. Obviously, the band members were rather horrified, and in fact, Waters himself and another band member actually broke down into tears because they had been with Sid since the beginning of Pink Floyd and saw everything he went through, and I don't blame them for doing that. Sid watched them record for a bit, commented that the song was quote-unquote a bit old-fashioned, and left. And that was the last time a lot of them saw Sid ever, and this mm. man lived until the 2000s. Not the happiest of endings for Sid or anyone in the band involved. And don't get me wrong, Sid did have his reasons and trauma, but it's still an incredibly sad story. Yeah. I feel like it's too powerful not to tell and gives a great insight on the story that Pink is telling here, as well as stardom in general. Sure, this is an album based largely on Waters' own life and reflections, but it's also based on the people who we knew, trends that he noticed in the world, and sad realities that are much closer to us than we'd like to think. To add a bit more to The Wall's connections with Sid Barrett, as well as Pink's journey, let's get into Nobody Home. Many of the lines of the song were written with Sid in mind. The obligatory Hendrix perm and the elastic bands keeping his shoes on were direct references to the way that Sid looked, and things he did in real life. And in fact, the toothbrush reference in the song is also likely hearkening back to the fact that when Sid watched Pink Floyd record Shine On You Crazy Diamond, he was actually brushing his teeth for a good portion of that time. I would not be able to practice with him standing there like that. I would just be like, please sir, you look unhinged. Can I call anyone for you? Is there, like, any way I can help you, my man? I mean, again, two of the band members were openly weeping, so I think no one was having a good time. Yeah, but I would, I would just be like, hey, my man, how's it going? And not just be like, okay, I guess I'll continue practice. <laughs> I don't know the entire details. Perhaps someone did do that. It was not a good time. <laughs> now, in terms of what this song says about Pink the character, Roger Waters commented that the song is about how part of Pink wants help, but the part of his brain that makes his body actually move does not. And this is actually a really good metaphor for depression. I don't think I have ever heard it distilled so well. It applies to other mental illnesses, of course, but I did want to comment on that. Now this song is basically about how regardless of how much stuff you have, your home is still empty if there's no one left to share that stuff with. Mm. Pink slowly realizes that the objects he used to define himself, like the perm or the drugs, have no personal significance, and that stripping himself of such meaningless titles, he is still nothing. I firmly believe that no one is nothing, but I understand how it can feel that way sometimes. I think this one is especially in reference to he has nothing that makes him special or, you know, an individual, individualistic that is, which is a running theme in this album, but Honestly, when you're that far gone, it really can feel like you are nothing, and again, firmly against that, but definitely understand the sentiment. Musically, this song is a lament, headed by a strong acoustic piano, which isn't always generally heard in rock rock. 
As for the phrase, nobody home, this acts as a double meaning. The first is obviously that there is nobody at this quote-unquote home Pink is searching for, especially with the references made to the telephone in the lyrics, it is likely that Pink's wife is the person he associates with home. Nobody home is also a popular British slang, meaning not being mentally there. It's often used when someone is slow to respond, or like Pink in his catatonic state, entirely spaced out. I mean, in like American slang, then if you're like slow to respond, then someone will be like, is anyone home? Yeah, no, it's actually the same thing, only Britannified. Yeah. In the song, the television is also present again, this time broadcasting a BBC radio report about how many German planes were destroyed during the Battle of Britain. This is also mixed with the audio of some presumably British pilots, one of whom likely crashes his plane. And by likely, I mean there are explosions. It's pretty explicit. This, of course, connects with Pink's childhood home and the potential motif of how he wishes that he could return to it. These two audio clips actually lead perfectly into the song Vera. The lyrics in this song are about a real singer during World War II named Vera Lynn. She was known as the Allied Forces Sweetheart, and many of her songs were actually broadcast to British soldiers to give them hope. Vera likely refers to one of her most famous songs, We'll Meet Again. If you've watched any old-timey movie from around this era, or potentially even if you haven't, you do know this song. It does sound familiar, yes. And it is a feat when I get this one to actually recognize a song. Yeah, <laughs> I anything. know nothing about pop culture, yeehaw. In reality, Vera Lynn went on to have a very successful career after World War II, and even became the oldest living artist to have a number one album on the UK album chart in 2009. She was 92. We stan. In this song, Pink is asking if anyone remembers Vera Lynn and what has become of her, referencing that she said we'll meet again. So, given that in the real world, if Vera is alive and well, Pink's meaning likely strikes at something deeper. Because of course it does. I would be finished with this otherwise. Yeah, it would be very nice. But here we are. Pink's reference to her promise of meeting on a sunny day likely harkens to we'll meet again, as well as the side two song, Goodbye Blue Sky where Pink initially bid his childhood and his innocence farewell. The what has become of you line could also mean what happened to your promises and hope. Firstly, Good's dad died in World War II. And second, Pink isn't really doing too well at the moment. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> it seems as if he's reaching out for a ray of hope from deep within his childhood, yet even that fails to comfort him because he's reminded of the disappointment that life left him with, harking back to the very first song of this entire album. Some people view the line, what has become of you, as Pink being cynical towards this so-called hope that Vera sang about, while others view the line as Pink desperately searching to find some of this hope for himself. The instrumentals most prominently feature the acoustic guitar, which could symbolize Pink going back to a simpler time. The sound of an acoustic guitar is also just softer than an electric guitar in general, which does add to the feel of the song. While it's a little melancholy, it's far from the sinister tone of a lot of the other songs we've talked about. Ideal. Continuing on this war-related track, Vera actually goes right into bringing the boys back home. Like Is There Anybody Out There, this song only has four lines, three of which are literally just bring the boys back home. The third line is don't leave the children on their own. Wow, two individual lines. Very different. Never heard any poetry better. And yet they can spark a full two-page academic quality essay review. And ah. I'm not talking about mine! The instrumentation of this song also sounds like a very patriotic wartime song. And from that, I think the message is pretty simple to dissect. The death of Pink's father has clearly been a huge issue in this life. After all, it was the first brick in his wall. Pretty big brick from what I can tell. 
Oh, absolutely. It is one of the biggest Brixton as well. This song is about the personal and social repercussions of such death by war and conflict. It also broadly extends to encompass people who were absent parents due to demanding work schedules. In short, nothing should be prioritized over friendships and familial connections lest those break down and lead to severe consequences. Pretty good message if you ask me. Case in point for this, by the way, Pink's entire life. Oh, wow. And with that, let's move on to the final song, Comfortably Numb. This is the longest song in the entire album, and like Hey You, it's a very popular radio song, with many references in pop culture today. It begins with a dark bass and drum beat that notably relies mostly on the top part of the drum set, or the cymbals and less heavy drums. This entire composition of the piece has an ethereal and drug trip-induced quality to it. The lyrical parts of this basically emulate what it feels like to be communicated with during a drug trip, or so I think. I cannot <laughs> confirm from personal experience. The repeating and echoey lines voiced by Roger Waters, who has taken on another role, uh, that of a doctor brought in by Pink's manager, has always creeped me out a little bit. Uh, this bodes well. They also parallel a lot of Pink's lines in other Side 3 songs. For example, the doctor starts by asking, is there anybody in there? That's an obvious parallel to the song, is there anybody out there? Doctor also asks, is there anyone home? Which again parallels the song, nobody home. As for the doctor's motivation, he's basically there to make sure that Pink can physically perform on stage at his concert later that night. And I don't mean the, do we need to take a rain check on this concert physically perform, I mean the pump all the needed medical drugs into the system until you can at least stand and seem to perform sort of way. 10 out of 10 doctoring, no corruption to be found here. Once the doctor asks if there's no pain, the singer switches to Pink Floyd's secondary singer, representing Pink's response. The lyrics represent a dull and distant world that's coming in through waves. Once again, you have those water metaphors rather representing Pink's rocky mental state at the moment, a callback to Side One's first song, In the Flesh. Basically, Pink is in danger of losing sight of reality altogether and being consumed by his mind and his mental wall entirely. He equates his state of being to when he was incredibly sick as a child, being quote-unquote comfortably numb. Roll credits. Just sort of vibing, but also on the verge of falling under into a potentially deadly state. Mm, that's not ideal. No! The doctor then comes back and announces that Pink might feel a pinprick, to which Pink screams. So... <laughs> Very likely, some drugs were just administered. <laughs> this man is literally going to be dragged on stage to perform in this state. Amazing uh, management. There's no way this will backfire no. at all and that I'm not foreshadowing. Wow. Now, based on more Doctor dialogue, the management team gets Pink on his feet and starts walking him to the show. Imagine paying money to go to a rock concert and the artist seems to be, like, going through it. And then he has, like, an entire mental breakdown on stage. Oh no! It is so much worse than that! Internally, however, Pink is still clearly zoned out and in his internal world. If the, your lips move but I can't hear what you're saying in the courses is enough indication. Interestingly, the last lines are, The child is grown, the dream is gone, I have become comfortably numb. So, to sum up what the heck just happened, Pink is incredibly drugged up and quote-unquote vibing in his mental world, and by vibing, of course, I mean that he's in emotional pain and incredibly close to losing his grip on the world. The doctor comes in and administers more drugs. Oh yeah, that'll definitely help. 
likely either something to counteract a trip or overdose, decrease the stress response, or increase wakefulness, or maybe multiple at once, yeah. uh, so that Pink is at least able to move, and then he is ushered to the show. But with the last lines, Pink's search for home only yields his failure as a result. And from that failure, Pink is about to change, and not for the better. There was a lot of analysis that could go into this song, especially taking into account the symbolism in the movie version, but I will leave the song at that. Oh, thank god. So, Pink's last grip on sanity and hope of recapturing his childhood innocence is gone. He retreats even further into his well, realizing that the people who could help him really aren't helping him in the way that he needs, and the album's climax is at hand. Mm. And that wraps up part three! Part four, though, is an absolute trip, to say the least, and as dark as this part got, part four gets very dark in other ways, mm. but I also find it one of the most interesting parts of the entire album. So we do have some special episodes planned for the upcoming weeks, so it will be a bit longer than usual until part four is released, but it will come out in just under a month. Cool. Until then, I will catch you next time. See ya.